Genesis chapter 49, and we'll pick it up from the last verse um, of Genesis chapter 49, and then we're going to read into Genesis chapter 50. All right, so picking it up in Genesis chapter 49, and we'll pick it up at verse 33. When Jacob had finished charging his sons, he drew his feet into the bed and breathed his last and gathered and, and was gathered to his people. Then Joseph fell on his father's face and wept over him and kissed him. Joseph commanded his servants, the physicians, to embalm his father. So the physicians embalmed Israel. Now we're in chapter 50, verse 3. Now 40 days were required for it, for such is the period required for embalming. And the Egyptians wept for him 70 days. When the days of mourning for him were past, Joseph spoke to the household of Pharaoh, saying, If now I have found favor in your sight, please speak to Pharaoh, saying, My father made me swear, saying, Behold, I am about to die in my, in my grave, which I dug for myself in the land of Canaan. There you shall bury me. Now therefore, please let me go up and bury my father. Then I will return. And Pharaoh said, Go up and bury your father, as he made you swear. Okay, so this is the death of, of Jacob. Jacob was a great man. Remember, use this word tam for Jacob when he was a young man. That word had only been used, uh, only been used in the Bible of very great people. It was used of Job, and it was used of Noah, and it was used of Jacob. Only three people in the Bible, and it means peaceful, a man of peace. Jacob never lifted up a sword against another. People tried to kill him on several occasions and God protected him and he gave gifts to try to appease people. He was a gentle man and uh, he had real hardships in his life. We went through that last time. We we went through the the many hardships that that poor guy went through in life. Uh, Nonetheless, he was gentle in every respect. And uh, uh, we listed out last time, we showed all the different things this guy went through, all the challenges he went through in life, which is more than I know of anyone on earth <clears throat> what, that guy, <clears throat> what that guy went through. But um, uh, he remained steadfast and true. And now in his death, just such dignity there. He gives out the blessings as they were deserved. And then it says, when Jacob finished charging his sons, he drew his feet into he drew he drew his feet into the bed and he breathed his last which it says which which actually means he expired and that's what the hebrew says he expired and he was gathered to his people and that, let me just touch on 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 uh, the beginning of chapter 50 and then we'll come back to verse 33 of chapter 49 so so joseph falls on his father's face and he wept over him and he kissed him jacob and Joseph were really close. They had a very close relationship. You, you saw the closeness of the relationship when Jacob, uh, when, when uh, J- uh, Joseph was 17 and his father sent him on an errand and how much it broke his father when he thought uh, that Joseph had been torn by animals. And uh, Joseph was very close to his father and uh, wept over him. And then in verse 2 it says, Joseph commanded his servants. Now, Joseph is still commanding servants. This is 12 years after the end of the famine. So they've been so so Jacob has been 
in Egypt 17 years. He came in Egypt at the age of 130. He's now 147 when he dies. There were five years of famine when he got there because there had already been two years of famine. There were seven years of abundance, two years of famine when he got there. So five, five more years of famine. So a total of 12 years since the end of the famine and, and uh, uh, Jacob dies. Joseph is still in command because it says Joseph commanded his servants, the physicians. So the physicians, everybody was under Joseph. Remember, Joseph sat right along with Pharaoh. Everybody was under Joseph. So in this time period, they were still, uh, 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 the, the Jews were a favored people. The Israelites were a favored people among, among the Egyptians. That's going to change in fairly short order. Uh, soon there's going to be a new pharaoh and uh, things are going to change quite rapidly so that the time that Joseph dies, there is no mourning, there is, there's, there's nothing that, that's assigned for him. And uh, at, this, at this age, Joseph, Joseph is now 56 years old when his father is 147 and he dies. And so he commands the physicians to embalm his father. It's interesting he did not command the embalmers to embalm his father because there were so many religious practices around the embalming process. He didn't want the embalmers to do it. He had the physicians do it. But this is going to be necessary because there's going to be a weeping for him 70 days before they can begin the trek to go to the land of Canaan to bury their father. That distance to the land of Canaan is about a 30-day journey. So you're going to have 70 days of weeping, which is the, the Egyptian tradition. It's 40 days for the Jews. It's 70 days for the Egyptians. So you see they're obeying the, 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 the process of the land that they're in. They're observing these, these uh, customs of the land that they're in because the customs do not bump up against their own religious practices. And so they're, they're fine observing this, this 70 days of weeping for him. And uh, it was a 40-day embalming process. And uh, uh, which overlapped with the 70 days of weeping. So it's going to be 100 plus days before this man is ever put in his grave. And it says that he commanded them to embalm him. And then in verse 3, now 40 days were required for that embalming, for such is the period required for embalming. And the Egyptians wept for him 70 days. When the days of mourning for him were passed, so after the days of mourning were passed, Joseph, it says that he spoke to the household of Pharaoh. Remember, Joseph lived right next to Pharaoh because when Joseph was thinking that he would, it would cry, he, he, he cried and the people in Pharaoh's house heard it. So he's right there alongside. He's running Pharaoh's house. But still, he didn't go to request of Pharaoh himself. He sent others on his behalf. And he says, my father made me swear. And he did make him swear. So if you look back in chapter 47, verse 31, it says... Uh, um, he said, swear to me, so he swore to him. Then Israel bowed and worshipped. So in, in chapter 47, verse 30 and 31, uh, Jacob had made his son Joseph swear to him that he would bury him in the land of Canaan. And so he made appeal to Pharaoh. And you can see this humble appeal he makes to Pharaoh, even though he has worked for Pharaoh now for a number of years, since the age of 30, he has worked for Pharaoh and so now he's 56. So for 26 years, he's worked for Pharaoh and he's watched over Pharaoh's house. Nonetheless, he feels that he needs to go and to make humble appeal. It is good to remember that to those who are our bosses, 
it is good to know that we, we need to, to go and, and learn to make appeal to them. I, I don't call the president of the university by his first name. And you say, well, maybe you don't know him very well. I know him very well. And everybody in my sort of position calls him David. I will just never do that. I will, and he's told me, just call me David. And I said, uh, uh, President, I can't call you, I, I can't call you that. <laughs> and I just feel obliged to call him uh, President Lebron because he's the president of the university. I want to honor him in that. It will never hurt you to show honor to whom honor is due. It will never hurt you. And it'll never hurt you to do a proper salutation to people. So when you're writing to somebody, dear so-and-so, even with an email, it will never detract from you to show honor to whom honor is due. In fact, if you do that, it will get you more points because you will be all the more unusual in this day and age where, 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 where salutations have been lost. To learn how to show respect, and that's exactly what this man did. He didn't say, well, I'm going to Canaan to bury my father. Look, I swore, I'm, so I'm going. No, he appealed. And Pharaoh graciously granted that. And then you see... Uh, starting in verse 7, there's a big retinue that goes uh, in verse 7. So Joseph went up to bury his father, and with him went all the servants of Pharaoh and the elders of his household and all the elders of the land of Egypt. So you've got everybody, everybody who's important in Egypt is going to go on a 30-day walk to the land of Canaan to bury this man, and 30 days back. Plus, they spent a week there in, in, in weeping at that site. So you've got people that are gone for two and a half months from their tasks in Egypt. This guy, Jacob, was so respected in the land of Egypt. He had lived there 17 years. So well respected because his son was so well respected and had saved that entire country. And so you see the respect is there. Now it's, it's not going to be long. It's not, remember, from the death of... of uh, from the death of Joseph, Joseph is, so Joseph is about halfway through his life. He's 56. He's going to die in 54 years at 110. And it's only about 65 years from the death of Joseph to the time Moses is born. By the time Moses is born, it's full genocide killing off the Jewish people. They are taking the male children and throwing them into the Nile. So you see that, that uh, there is going to be, it, things can turn on a dime. Li lives can change, things can change, governments can change, and it, 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 uh, it's going to change quite rapidly after this. But at this time, he's so, so respected. And you see that here's a man who learned how to show respect, and he himself was deeply respected. When we learn how to show respect, we are deeply respected. And, and if I could urge you, when you get your jobs, when you get your careers, show respect to those who are above you. And when everybody's standing around the water cooler and speaking about the boss, just separate yourself. Or you can inject one good favorable word and you can change a whole conversation. Just say, you know, I, 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 I think she's pretty nice. Actually, she's been very nice to me. And you can, you can change the whole conversation just by speaking a word. So remember to show honor to whom honor is due. This man really knew how to do that. And so who was sent? The entire leadership of Egypt went on this journey. And so, and, and then in verse, in verse uh, um, 8, 
and all the household of Joseph and his brothers and his father's household, they left only their little ones and their flocks and their herds in the land of Goshen. There also went up with him both chariots and horsemen, and it was a very great company. It wasn't just a company, it was a very great company. So there were chariots and horsemen because you had these very important people in the land of Egypt who are going to have to go across these lands. And so they are well protected. So I don't know how many thousands of people there were on this trek to the land of Canaan. But what I want to focus in on today is exactly what it says here in verse 33 of chapter 49. When Jacob finished charging his sons, he drew his feet into the bed and breathed his last and was gathered to his people. He drew his feet into his bed. He breathed his last. He expired and was gathered to his people. As soon as he died, he was gathered to his people. Well, remember, it's not going to be for at least, at least 100 days before he is actually buried in his grave next to Abraham, next to Isaac. He's going to be buried there. Jacob is going to be buried there along with Sarah, along with Rebekah, and along with Leah. And so it's not going to be for 100 days. He's gathered to his people immediately. He's immediately gathered to his people. As soon as he expires, he's gathered to his people. As soon as the believer dies, he's gathered to his people. She's gathered to her people. This is the beautiful hope we have in Christ. Look at what, what, what Jesus says about these things. Jesus actually talks about these things. There are these things that are talked about by our Lord. So if you look, if you look in, in Matthew, in uh, uh, Matthew chapter 22, verse 29, Matthew 22, verse 29, it says, it says in, uh, uh, well, let's start reading in verse 31. Matthew 22, verse 31. But regarding the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what was spoken to you by God? I am the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. He is not God of the dead, but of the living. When the crowds heard this, they were astonished at his teaching. He says, Jesus said, he is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They're very much alive. They are alive. You think they're dead. Their body may be dead, but they are very much alive. Jesus spoke of them as if they are alive. Jesus should know this. Jesus knows this. And, and uh, um, look, look in, uh, 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 in Matthew chapter 8, verse 10. Matthew chapter 8, verse 10. Let, let's start reading at 11. Matthew chapter 8, verse 11. Jesus said, I say to you that many will come from the east and the west and recline at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the sons of the kingdom will be cast out into outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So you see that Jesus says there are going to be many coming from the east and the west. This means the Gentiles. This means people who are not of the Jewish nation. He says many of them are going to be coming from the east and the west. And they're going to recline at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Jesus says this. He's not deceiving us. He's not speaking a bunch of niceties. He's just speaking the truth. They're going to recline at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob because Abraham and Isaac and Jacob are already there. They're already there. And he says they're going to recline at the table in the kingdom of God. But the sons of the kingdom, meaning among the Jews, they're going to be cast out into outer darkness, into a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is what he says to them. 
He, says, he, he speaks of this as if they are alive, because they are. Look in, in Luke chapter 13. What does Jesus go on to say in Luke chapter 13? Verse 28, he's speaking of, of uh, uh, this place of separation from God. He says, in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. When you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves being thrown out, and they will come from the east and the west and the north and the south and will recline at the table in the kingdom of God. This is what heaven is like. You want to know what it's like? Jesus has described this for us. He's told us right here. He tells us what heaven is like. Heaven is like this. You will be with your family. You will be with your friends. You will be with these other believers and you're going to be fellowshipping with them. You're going to be eating with them. And you're going to have all these believers from around the world. That is what heaven is like. You want to know what the picture is like? You don't have to imagine it. Jesus told us. He told us. It's very plain. He says, but you are going to be weeping in a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. In other words, there's going to be a group of people weeping and have gnashing of teeth, just the pain and the misery that they're going through. But they will be able to see Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and all the prophets, and all of these Gentiles, all of these people coming. This is what heaven is like. And that's what hell is like. And so, it, the, the, the typical Jewish context of what hell is like is exactly what Jesus spoke about. Sheol, Sheol has a good part and a bad part. Sheol is the same as, as, as this place, Hades. So one is in Hebrew, one is in Greek. We're talking about the same thing here. It's all of the same thing. And he says, he says that, that uh, uh, you're going to have this, uh, um, this place where people are going to be, where, where there's going to be Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and people are going to be able to watch them. These people in misery are going to see what they missed out on. That's real hell. They're going to see what they missed out on. And you think just because you're Jewish, just because you're the land of Israel, you're getting in there? No. That's the typical rabbinic teaching. Typical rabbinic teaching is there is an angel that stands there. And if he ever sees a Jew going into Sheol, into the wrong side of Sheol, into the bad half, he grabs him and he snatches him. And he says that for any Jewish male, it is the circumcision that the angel recognizes. But isn't it interesting now with Messianic Jews, it's an interesting thing that with Messianic Jews, they say that the foreskin is put back on so that there is a way for them to go now into, into the dark side because they have, uh, uh, um, they have fo started following this Messiah Jesus. I mean, it's a, it's a really strange thing that the rabbis have, have begun to teach, teach to us in this. And, and being Jewish, I, you know, this is exactly what is taught. But here you see that there's Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and they see from that other side. So there is a good part and a bad part. And Jesus actually describes this even more in Luke chapter 16. In Luke chapter 16, you see the description of this even more. Everything fits with this description. So you see in Luke chapter 16, reading from verse 19. Now there was a rich man who habitually dressed in purple and fine linen, joyously living in splendor every day. And a poor man named Lazarus was laid at his gate, covered in sores, and longing to be fed with the crumbs that were falling from the rich man's table. Besides, even the dogs were coming and licking his sores. Now the poor man died and was carried away 
by the angels to Abraham's bosom. And the rich man also died and was buried. In Hades, he lifted up his eyes, being in torment, and he saw Abraham far away with Lazarus in his bosom. So here's the same picture. Over and over again, Jesus is giving us a picture. This rich man, who obviously didn't have any regard to, to, for the Lord, it says that he died and was buried. Lazarus, the poor man, died and he was taken away by the angels. He ends up in the bosom of Abraham. Paradise is the bosom of Abraham as it was described. This is the good part of Sheol, the bosom of Abraham. And then there's the bad part of Sheol. If you want to speak in Greek, you just, just substitute the word Sheol with Hades. It's the same thing. And, and uh, uh, these were separated and it, it, was, it, it was believed that this, is what, this was in the center of the earth somewhere where this was taking place. And so, so uh, uh, there, there's this good part and this bad part. And you see, in Hades, he lifted up his eyes, being in torment, and he saw Abraham far away. So I don't know what the distance is. I don't know if it's 50 yards or 50 miles or more than that. But they have the ability to see across that chasm. And not only to see across the chasm, but to speak across the chasm. They're speaking to each other. In Hades, he lifted up his eyes, being in torment, and he saw Abraham far away and Lazarus in his bosom. Verse 24, and he cried out and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus so that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool off my tongue, for I'm in agony in this flame. But Abraham said, Child, remember that during your life you received good things and likewise Lazarus bad things, but now he is being comforted here and you are in agony. And besides all this, between us and you, there's a great chasm fixed so that those who wish to come over from here to you will not be able and that none may cross over from there to us. And he said, Then I beg you, Father, that you send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers in order that he may warn them so that they will not also come in this place. But Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. But he said, No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to him from the dead, they will repent. But he said to him, If they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be persuaded even if someone rises from the dead. And that's exactly what happened. Jesus rose from the dead and they didn't listen to him. They have Moses and the prophets were sufficient, were sufficient for them to know. But you see they're having a conversation. There's a good part and a bad part in a bosom of Abraham. And he refers to Abraham, my father. So this rich man was a Jew, referring to him as Abraham, my father. But still, he was separated from the kingdom. There is salvation in Jesus Christ and in him only. It is not Jew or Gentile, it is salvation only in him. But there is this separation, there is this great chasm fixed. And there's others there. Uh, it, it, it's not just Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Remember, it said all the prophets. Remember in, in, the, uh, in the transfiguration, in Luke chapter 9, in the transfiguration, it says, and, and while he was praying, there appeared of his face became different, and his clothing became white and gleaming. Luke chapter 9, verse 30 now. And behold, two men were talking with him, and they were Moses and Elijah, who appearing in glory were speaking of his departure, which he was about to accomplish in Jerusalem. So Jesus prays and Moses and Elijah show up. 
Why? Because they're very much alive. They're very much alive. Elijah was taken up to heaven. Moses, it says, his body was buried right there on Mount Nebo. God buried him, but he's very much alive. Do you see when the believer dies, they're very much alive. Remember this. Remember this on the day that you lose a loved one. If they were in Christ, they are as alive as you are. They are very much alive. The body may go into the ground, but they are alive. Jesus calls them by name. The names remain the same. And remember, the, the disciples see this on the Mount of Transfiguration, and they somehow recognize Moses and Elijah. I don't know how they did. You know, I don't know if they had a name tag. Hello, my name is. How, how do you know that's Moses and Elijah? You never see. But somehow they recognize them as Moses and Elijah. There's a recognition of names in heaven. The names are right there. Jesus refers to them with their earthly name. He refers to them in heaven as if they're, they're just there immediately. He was gathered to his people immediately. He was gathered to his people. There is salvation. There is a salvation that is fixed for us, that is fixed for us in heaven. There is a place for us and a salvation that's fixed for us. But this is not available to the unbeliever. It's really not. This is not available to the unbeliever. Jesus describes, the Bible describes what hell is like. And let me just warn you about this because the Bible does this. The Bible warns us about this. So in the book of Isaiah, chapter 9, through, chapter 14, Isaiah chapter 14, verses 9 through 11, it talks about what hell is going to be like. It gives us a description. You want to see what it's going to be like in hell? Now, let me just remind you that when Jesus went and took captivity captive, after he died on the cross, Jesus went, he made proclamation. He made proclamation on the good half of Sheol. He didn't go to hell on the bad half. No way. He went on the good half and he took captivity captive. He took those who were in the bosom of Abraham, all of those who died prior to Jesus dying on the cross, and he took them with him to heaven. He didn't go to the bad half. He went to the good half of Sheol and took them with him. On Isaiah chapter 14, verse 9, the realm of the dead below is all astir to meet you at your coming. Isn't that interesting? For the unbelievers here, for people who do not know Jesus, you will be welcomed into hell. You will be welcomed there. They're all astir to meet you. It says it arouses the spirits of the departed greet you. Hello. They will greet you. As you enter into hell, skipping on down, they will say to you, you have become weak as we are. You have become like us. All your pomp has been brought down to the grave, along with the noise of your harps. Maggots are spread out beneath you, and worms cover you. Let us show you to your bedroom. See that bed over there? It's made out of maggots. That's your bed. Maggots are spread out beneath you, Oh, your covers, that's those worms. You lie down, the worms will cover you. That'll be your blanket. That's the description of hell. That's what it looks like. What did Jesus say is the description of, uh, of hell? In Mark chapter 9, verse 48, Jesus describes for us what hell is. Jesus says, where the worms that eat them do not die and the fire is not quenched. Jesus speaks of that blanket of worms. You may think you can kill them. Jesus, oh, those worms, they don't die. Those worms in hell do not die. This is what awaits you if you do not know the Lord. If you do not know Jesus, this is what awaits you. Don't mess around with this stuff. You can be welcomed into the kingdom. Jesus said, I go and prepare a place for you. 
And he says, he, I will come and I will receive you. Jesus himself will receive us into his kingdom. Or this is what awaits you. This is what he described for us. He wasn't messing around. Well, who is going to be there? In Revelation chapter 21, verse 8, it describes who is going to be there. We may think we're pretty good. If we are not in Jesus, there is no way. Nobody is good enough. In Revelation chapter 21, verse 8, it says, but the cowardly, the unbelieving, the unbelieving, if you're an unbeliever, this is what awaits you. The cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters, and all liars, they will be consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulfur. Remember, Jesus, when he spoke, he, spe- he said, where the worms do not die and the fire is not quenched. Jesus is the one who said, there's a fire over there. By the way, there's a fire there. Jesus said it in, in, in Mark chapter 9, verse 48. He talked of the fire. He spoke of the fire. Here it says, this condemns us all. If you are not in Christ, you are on this list. Somewhere on this list. Cowardly, unbelieving, the vile, murderers, sexually immoral. Have you ever had a sexually immoral act? You're guilty enough to go into the fire. Without Christ and His blood, without Jesus and His blood covering us, we're all doomed. Those who practice magic arts, the idolaters and all liars. All liars. You may say, well, I only tell little lies. It doesn't say big lies, little lies. All liars. All liars. This is what awaits you if you do not know the Lord. If you do not know the Lord. And, and this is spoken about also in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 11. It's, it says, and it gives this list of, of, of the same sort of list. But then it says, and such were some of you, but you were washed, but you were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. There is justification in God and in Him only. But this is what awaits us. There is good awaiting us or terrible pain. In Revelation, in in the book of Revelation, chapter 20, verse 15, it says, And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. He was thrown into the lake of fire. And it it was described to us back in Revelation, chapter 21, that it is a fiery lake of burning sulfur. Sometimes the Bible uses the word brimstone. Brimstone is the element sulfur. A sulfur fire is an amazing fire. You You can look at it on the internet big pools because sulfur melts at a relatively low temperature and so you see a pool and it's a a fire yellow and blue fire that will move along on it It doesn't stay in one place the whole thing doesn't light up the fire moves along because it 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 starts wiping itself out because all the sulfur dioxide starts coming up as the sulfur is oxidized and it has to move in order to get fresh oxygen so it moves so the fire moves around And uh, he says, that's what it's going to be. That's what hell is. There's going to be a fire there. And and you'll be thrown in the lake of fire. In 1 John 3.23, it says, this is his commandment. This is his commandment that we believe on the name of his son, Jesus Christ. We are commanded to believe. We are commanded, oh unbeliever. This day I tell you, we are commanded to believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a commandment. This is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, in 1 John 3, 23. And we, we shouldn't delay on this. We should do it quickly. You don't delay. It says in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 2, Behold, now is the acceptable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. If you do not know the Lord, I urge you to come to him today. If you do not know the Lord, come to him today. Today is your day. 
And you may say, well, I need to go home and pray about it. You don't need to go home and pray about obeying the Lord. In Psalm 119, verse 60, it says, I made haste and I did not delay to keep your commandments. We go immediately to keep the commandments of God. We do not pray about keeping the commandments of God. If a policeman tells you, pull your car over, you say, well, I'll pray about that. No, you pull your car over. When God tells you to do something, you do it. And this is what we're to do. I urge you this day, if you don't know the Lord, you, you come to him this day. Or else, this is what may be said in Hosea chapter 4, verse 17. He is joined to idols, leave him alone. He is joined to idols, leave him alone. If we keep on rejecting God and think that we'll have another day to do this, you don't know that. He may say of us, he's joined to idols, just leave him alone. Or he may say, as in Isaiah chapter 38, verse 1, set your house in order, for you shall die and not live. Maybe the commandment has been given already. Set your house in order, for you shall die and not live, in Isaiah chapter 38, verse 1. But he calls us. He calls us to something better. Because in, in Romans 6.23, the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. There is hope in Jesus and in Him only. Only there is hope in Jesus. There is hope in Jesus in Him and in Him only. Let Him, let Him come to you. Jesus said, come to me. Jesus calls us. He says, come to me, all ye who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls. This is the call of the gospel. Come to me. If you do not know him this day, I urge you to come to him. This man Jacob could gather his feet into his bed and immediately expire and be with his people. This is what awaits us, where we're called by our own name. We sit at a table in fellowship with the people that we love. This is what awaits us in heaven. This is so sure and so true. Jesus said, if it were not true, I wouldn't have told you this. This is what he tells us. He has a place prepared. Don't throw this away. Don't hold on to your unbelief. I urge you this day, come to him. In Isaiah chapter 43, verse 25, Isaiah 43, 25, it says, I, even I, am the one who wipes out your transgressions for my own sake and I will not remember your sins. Jesus comes and he says, I, even I, this is God speaking. I, even I, this is God speaking. I will wipe out, I'm the one who wipes out your transgressions for my own sake. For my own sake, I will do this. I liken it, if, if one of my kids was in jail, I would go immediately and bail them out. And even if they said, Dad, I deserve to be here, I would say, fine, we'll deal with that later, but I'm getting you out of here. If it's in my power to get you out, I'll get you out. That's what God says. I will wipe out your transgressions for my own sake. You may not feel worthy of this salvation. He says, for my own sake, I'm offering this to you. For my own sake, I want to get you out of here. And I will not remember your sins. And God tells us exactly how to come into the kingdom of God. It is so easy. Listen to this. This is exactly how you do it. There's nothing mysterious about this. There's two things that we've got to do in Romans chapter 10, verse 9. That if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. That's it. That's it. You don't have to believe in the virgin birth. You may want to. You may not want to. You don't have to believe in Adam and Eve. You don't have to believe in anything else. It is this. The proclamation with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and that you believe in your heart that God raised them from the dead and you will be saved. You will be saved. This is what it is. Please don't let this day pass by if you don't know Him. Don't let this pass, day pass by without getting to know Him. 
If you're on the line or if you're here and you need to speak to me one-on-one, we will do that. I will set up a call with you by Zoom and we will meet one-on-one and you will get saved that very day. Do not delay. We will meet today. We'll get it done today. It is not hard. And we'll seal this thing today. And don't let this day pass by. Get saved today. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much for your word. Your word is full of power and truth. Every word in this Bible is true. Absolutely every word. Lord Jesus, every word that you spoke is true. How There's Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and all the prophets. And many will come from the east and the west and the north and the south and sit at the table in the kingdom of God. Father, thank you for this truth. Lord, I pray for the unbelievers that are here that they would not let this day pass by, but that this very day they would say, I believe that Jesus is Lord and I believe that he has risen from the dead. That the Lord Jesus would welcome them into his kingdom even this day. And Father, I pray for the believers that are here that you would give them this great hope that whoever of their loved ones is lost and perishes in you, if they have known you, they shall forever be with you. Father, I pray that you would save our loved ones who don't know you. Father, remember my dad, my dad who doesn't know you. Father, remember his soul. My brother, my sister, Lord, remember them, I pray. Save their souls, just as you did for my mother. Lord, save their souls, I pray, because they have a hellish place, a fire awaiting them unless they give their hearts to you. Father, save their souls, I pray. Break through to their hearts. And Lord, I thank you for that blessed hope that that's exactly where our loved ones who know you will go, into the kingdom of God, and they will be sitting at a table in the kingdom of God, enjoying fellowship with all the prophets, and you know them by their name, and they relax in the bosom of Abraham. Blessed be your name, Lord Jesus. Blessed be your name. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for all you offer to us, for all your kindness. In the name of Jesus, amen.